Today is February 25th, 2024. A week ago I said January. No one corrected me. Did you, did you correct it? Uh, no, not yet. It'll, it'll be corrected when Mashiach appears. Be'ezrat Hashem. Uh, I'm not happy, but I'm dependent upon others. Uh, let's begin properly. Uh, unfortunately, another Chayal was killed. In North Gaza, supposedly North Gaza was cleaned up, but it shows you what's going on. All that's going on. Let me not comment. All I can comment is that uh, there have been endless, endless op-ed pieces, both in the newspapers and in the Alonim on Haredim in the army. And uh, it's a two-way street. Now, one hand, Haredim have to change their mentality, and the army has to be ready to absorb uh, thousands of Haredim. Uh, and Kashrut is not a problem at all. The army is Glakosha. And uh, that is not a problem. But the problem is, in an army base, uh, now all over, at the battlefield, you have the men and women. And for Haredi, who's not used to intermingling with women, this is a serious challenge. And I can tell you, uh, I saw this with my own eyes, I should shake when I think of it, that um, I was at an engagement party, and the Chatan was a Ger Chassid, born and raised in Ger. And he walks into the room, they were in separate rooms, men, women, and uh, he came into the room where there were a lot of couples like myself, my wife, and he saw women and he started to shake. And I asked, what's going on? He said, no, he's never been in a room where there are men and women together. Friday night they eat separately. I was at Garrett's Smachot, two separate rooms. I'm not in any way indicating I approve of this or that this is my cup of tea or I think this is Yiddishkeit, but this is the reality. And then you place a Garrett in the army, I can see where it can be very challenging. So we need a two-way street, and uh, we'll leave it to the politicians. If you heard the news this morning already, Galint and... Uh, Gans and Netanyahu, the issue already is is rolling like a snowball. Right? Be'ezrat Hashem, lo amon Yisrael, and it will wake, work out. Uh, I just want to comment. If I understood correctly, uh, the, the that was a shir that Rav Shechti gave on his recent visit to Israel, and. Uh, what happened there, and this is a problem uh, that I've encountered many times. He evidently, he writes, or it's recorded in Rabbi Shechter's name that he had a wonderful trip, everything was good, except one night where he met with uh, some element of Rabbanim here, if I would imagine, from Soha or, or, or Beit Hillel, and uh, they spoke about that the Rabbanim have to be more enlightened and uh, more lenient, and they cited Rabbi Salavechik as the example. That's what I got out of the talk. So I'll tell you, this is a problem that uh, it wasn't born today. It wasn't born, it was yesterday. And I can still remember when Chavavet Torah 
where Eidah, it's in the 1990s, held a convention here, and in their big advertisement in the Jerusalem Post, the Rav's picture was in the background. And I can tell you, Tova Lichtenstein, Dr. Tova Lichtenstein was furious. She called and uh, she threatened World War III if they don't remove the Rav's picture. And you see, this is the Rav, and it's hard for many to understand because they live in a world where it's just totally dysfunctional and a big chasm between the Torah and the world around. The Rav was totally chareid l'dvach Hashem. If it came to a question, if he choose Chovavei Torah or Haredim, there's no doubt anyone who knew the Rav, he would choose Haredim. He was a briska and, and makpid and all the briska chumras. On the other hand, he was part of the Western world and one does not contradict the other. And in this very classroom, when I was interviewed by um, uh, one of the magazines, not Mishpacha, but the other one, Ami, and the editor, I only I made interviewing me a condition upon their coming to a class and have to hear me teach. So he, he's a brisk and he came with his son and Annette, all brisk and they And then at the, at the end of the interview, they asked me to define Rav Soloveitchik. And I said, it's very easy to define him, a brisker in the Western world. And the editor of Army magazine started dancing with his son. He said, this is it, this is it. Like I, I was Megala Maimed Hasinai for him. But uh, I, I can understand what Rav Shechter was upset. And, and there, one rabbi says, I'm going to wear dungarees to be at part of the, my balabatam here in Israel. I'm one of the crowd, one of the boys. No, I, I, he doesn't even start to... It's true, Rav Salavechik didn't wear a minute clothes. But, he, I, and I don't know, I'm sure he never wore dungarees, and I don't know what dungarees are, to be honest with you. But, uh, but he was Kulo Torah and Kulo Yerat Now, this is very fascinating because I wanted to show a book to you that just came out. Why isn't it clear here? I don't know. It's not, uh, Jack, I apologize, but evidently it doesn't... Um, no, no, it's not a problem with the... It's mm-hmm. the problem. What, what's mm-hmm. the problem? Why isn't it clear? Yomo is playing with it. Ah, how'd you do that? There it's clear. Now it's clear. So I want to tell you, this volume, which just came out, is the finest volume I've ever read if you want to understand who the Rav was. It is fabulous. It's, it's, it, it, obviously he's not alive, but it's the Chespid and Chespedim and analysis by his son-in-law, Rabbi Yitzchak Tversky. And I had such nachet out of this book. It's published by Magid, Perpetuating the Masorah, Halachic, Ethical, and Experiential Dimensions by Rabbi Yitzchak Tversky. Well, obviously, it's putting together what he said and what he wrote about the Rav. It's edited, uh, it's, and it's edited by my neighbor, uh, Professor Kami Horowitz, and by Rabbi David Shapiro. And I don't think these two people knew Yitzchak Tversky inside out and knew the Rav as well. Uh, particularly David Shapiro, who who was dean in Maimonides for many, many decades. 
and Kami Horowitz is a Talmud Mufaka of Professor Tweski. He's now working on a book on the intellectual uh, insights, uh, history of Professor Tweski. And he just put out a tremendous volume of Professor Tweski's writings translated into Hebrew. He's, he's the editor. It was put out by uh, Mecca Shazar. But this particular volume, if you want to know who the Rav was, this captures the Rav. It is honest. It has endless sources. And to me, it was the Rav I knew. And once I feel that way, I have a right to praise the volume. So it fits right in with what Rav Heschel uh, said and is quoted in that article you showed me. Um, regarding our eulogies over the last uh, few weeks, unfortunately, Rabbi Slodowski, Rabbi Sadowski, uh, with an L, without an L, I've had a lot of mourning, Rabbi uh, um, um, Katzman, also a musmach of the yeshiva, just died. Philip Katzman, Shraga Fibro Katzman, all his five children, live in Israel. And I had the schut to teach two of them at least, uh, his daughter Michal Aaron, his son in the Kolil many years ago. And uh, regarding Rabbi uh, Gershon Sadowski, so I eulogized him, I spoke here in class, and then I spoke at the Shloshim, Yomo videoed me, and uh, I got a beautiful letter from Rabbi Moshe Katz in Chicago, and he describes growing up in East Flatbush with, with Gershon's family. And we lived in East Flatbush. There was a small shul across the street from us. The Rab was a Slabatka Talmud, Rabbi Yosef Aronson, etched in my memory until today, close to 60 years later, is the image of Rav Geshen sitting every night by the window of the shul, learning Gemara by himself for hours and hours. And that's exactly uh, Rav Geshen as I remember him, an unbelievable Masmid. And uh, re relating to the story I told about the, the driveway of the Rav and the Mr. Phil Newman, uh, who fixed the driveway and how the rub checked it out, and I got a, a, a this is from a regular fine Fineland uh, Chabad rub, uh, and he writes, he he knew the family, and uh, and he would always tell the story about the driveway and the rub and the rub pouring the water. And he would conclude the story by taking out a well-creased letter from his wallet sent to him by the Rav, thanking him for his work and his professionalism and would say it was one of the most cherished possessions he owned. So in honor of the baseball season starting yesterday with the first uh, spring training games, so I just want to tell you that Joe DiMaggio never had to pay for anything. He would always write a check. Anyone who got a check signed by Joe DiMaggio, Kenny, remember they returned checks? It was a whole different world. You got a canceled check back with DiMaggio. They, they never deposited the check, I should say. They didn't need the canceled check. To have DiMaggio's signature, let's say the check was for $19, $20, whatever. It was a sum of money then. But, wow, 
to cash the check, you had to be crazy. The Maggio signature on the check today, well, $100 minimum, probably a lot more. Now, one other thing before I begin, the word balagan, I asked for its uh, origin, and uh, both the Wikipedia and Nakam Lamb, who's like a Wikipedia, say the same thing. Balagan comes from the Persian where it means porch or roof, and then it was picked up by the Turks, as these were places where you just threw a lot of things, a porch, a roof, a store area, an attic, and ultimately it reached Israel, a balagan, a mess, a junk pile, etc. So thank you for the origins of the word. So it shows you I'm all confused. I, I can't state, did we use balagan in America? Was it a Yiddish word? I don't know. I seem to remember balagan in Yiddish, but uh, am I right, Kenny? All right, so it shows you it reached Israel, it reached Palestine, it reached Jews, and it became a Jewish word. Okay, we have a very uh, fascinating and important shir today, but tomorrow's shir is even more important. I'll tell you about that later. Um, so we finished out the question. The, it's a, again, most gedolim would get questions like this. I don't think they would answer. What's fascinating about Rav Menashe Klein even the most interesting, simplest questions that come out of life, and Natan, if you're a Sholo Meshiv among American kids, bring the Torah to life. These are live questions. And uh, the mother-in-law says, let me throw out the garbage, let me wash the dishes, I want to forget about my late husband, and is he obligated to listen to her? And uh, Rav Menashe Klein says, <coughs> listen to her. Then he pauses and he opens up his mouth as only Rav Menashe Klein could and would. And he says, you should wash dishes and you should make beds and you should do all these simple deeds. A man is created only to learn Torah. That's what we saw last week. A woman's job in the world, she was only created to wash dishes and to make the beds. And as a fallout, we also saw Rabbi Deitch from Hungary, and it's beyond comprehension. By the way, I had a long talk tonight with my Talmud, who sent it to me, Beryl Phillips, and Beryl confirmed everything, that it's legitimate. You know, at first, when someone evidently picked it up, and uh, that he compares women to a Amalek. I mean, we find his shalom. Natan, you're in, you're still in Shanari Shana. Oh, you're after so you can hear this. To compare women to Amalek. I mean, this is unbelievable. And the Gimel, Gimel Yamim, what he does with that. Obviously, we don't have to be a big psychologist to understand that uh, he evidently had an unhappy marriage, to say the least. But he really published it. It's available online, in uh, you know where they have all the Hebrew books. It's real. And uh, in lieu of that, I want to say something I didn't see last week. This, you know, you suddenly recall, and I recall, and you can absolutely check this out. It's shook up the small Torah world in America. 
what happened was, and it's very hard for you to comprehend this today, Tells was very big. You spoke, well, I remember in, in my class at Yeshiva College, some of the best Talmidim were graduates of Tells High School. People from all over the country, uh, Dr. Alan uh, Goldstein, Zeichat was my classmate, was at Tells, uh, there were others. You sent your kid to Tells, that was, that was, the in thing, if I'm not mistaken, Aaron Batts, I thought Rachel learned and tells. I knew yeah, this, it was, oh, yeah, tells Cleveland, fabulous yeshiva. So the, then they had a yeshiva, had a high school, and a, they began a kolel, and uh, the two rush yeshiva were Reb Elia Bloch, from the Bloch family, and his and his uh, also a brother-in-law was Reb Mutl Katz. They were stuck in America. I mean, I, I can only go to deal with us now. I think we spoke about it in the past. But they were in America fundraising, and World War II broke out, and their entire families were wiped out in Europe. I think Reb Mutl Katz lost a wife and many many children. Well, they remarried. They rebuilt. They created tells in America. So the kolel begins, and one of the fellows enters the kolel, newlywed, and he comes to Reb Elimeyer Bloch and, and says to his Rebbe, Rebbe, I, I got married, and my wife wants me to throw out the garbage. He says, a ben Torah? Gatlet adam. You know, this, by the way, is one of the problems of Musa. If you take Godlet Adam, a person becomes Yitzir Kapav Shalakadish Baruch Hu. You become self-centered. And he tells Rebel Yameya, and he says, I'm insulted. And and Rebel Yameya comes him down and tells him, all right, go home, and you'll work it out with your wife. The next morning, there's a knock. No one heard the story? There's a knock on the door, and there's Rebel Yameya. I came to throw out the garbage. So with all due respects to Rabbi Masha Klein, uh, we have to be good human beings and good husbands. And as someone wrote about the Rav, when he visited him in America, he was shocked that while he's interviewing the Rav and talking with the Rav, he answers the telephone himself. You follow that? That, that was shocked. The Rav answers the telephone himself. <laughs> what are you shocked about? He was a normal, down-to-earth human being. Okay, now we're beginning to today's very... I mean, this is fascinating from a psychological point of view, an educational point of view, and a historic point of view. Uh, and we're dealing with Chelek Yud Mishnah Halachat Siman Reish Chaf Dalit. And here... You have, and we know very limited details. What's worse is that uh, Reb Menashe Klein evidently felt that uh, this question was embarrassing, so he doesn't even write the name of the person who asked it. It's 1974, Malat Kavod, no name and no uh, city, so you can't identify my own educated guess, and I may be wrong, but it's an educated guess, 
that uh, this girl is a graduate of Beis Yaakov. She has very wealthy parents. She's 18 years of age. And she started teaching. And she loves teaching. And her parents say to her, we no longer want you to teach because you belong in the business. He uses the word business. And and, and Rabbi Ashkenaz says it's not that they need her in the business. There are shirim muflagim. But they don't want her to teach. They want her in the business. They want to keep an eye on her. And this is their command, directive. Now let me say something about very wealthy people. In the course of my work for Cloud Israel, I've gotten to know some very, very wealthy people, and I've gotten to see some very, very wealthy people in action. So I can tell you there's Rodeo Drive. If you haven't heard of Rodeo Drive, you don't know what wealth is. That's beyond Beverly Hills, North Beverly Hills. It's an experience to see some of the stores of Shemi Shabbos, by the way. That's where there was a big scandal with the bank, with the uh, uh, one of the Rabbeim. Uh, don't want to go into details, but it affects us until today because every bank in Israel, if it does anything off-color, America will put them out of business. And it all begins from that bank in Rodeo Drive with the Sprinker Rebbe, and uh, one of the Sprinker Rebbe's, uh, he went to jail afterwards, laundering money, laundering money. You brought money into there, it went to Israel, it came back, you got it, an American tax exemption, you gave $100,000, and 90,000 came back to you. But you gave 100,000, it gave you a tax break of $40,000. So you gave 10 and made 30. I mean, all right, I don't want to criticize anyone, but thank God money was not my game and not my fame. So uh, there's a young Israel, North, North Beverly Hills, and I was there, Scotland Residence, I don't know if everyone was a billionaire, but there were quite a few billionaires there. When you spoke to them, you know, generally you speak to someone, they listen, you can differ, they have their inheritance. These people, their way, or the highway, they're so... And their attitude is, I could explain it. Look, if, if you make a few billion dollars in business, you, you made the right decisions. Well, many of them translate it, I made the right decisions, not just in business. I have a mind, I'm successful. And right down the line, I, I remember where I was discussing with one of them, uh, right-wing Israel, Yehuda Shomron, he was already a leftist, and oh, he, he couldn't even listen. And then I saw in the shul, and I heard from the rabbi, and things that had happened, and these are wealthy people. And the wealth, I, I would put it this way, it entices them to think they're all knowledgeable and always correct. Now, 
I'm knowledgeable in my fields. I'm good. But I'm smart enough to know that there are many other fields that I have to leave to experts. I wouldn't contend with Warren Buffett just because I know Shas and Paiskim. You follow? And, and this attitude is what comes across right here. Ashirim with Luckin, but they are adamant you belong with us in business. And uh, the girl is very upset. She is happy teaching. She has succeeded. Her students love her. And does she have to listen to her parents? Now, so Rabbi Asher Klein, you'll see on page Reb Petchet in the second uh, paragraph, he says, look, I'm very busy with many questions and learning and teaching, but I'm going to stop everything because this is halachal lemaisa. And evidently he knew the rabbi asking that he felt in debt that he has to give an answer. He can't dilly-dally. Well, what's the halacha? Do you have to listen to your parents? So I don't have to tell you, we dealt with this last, uh, the last shayla. If your parents tell you, l'chalel Shabbat, you don't have to listen. It's, the Gemara puts it very simply, I'm your parents' God, I'm your God. But Chilul Shabbos is Chilul Shabbos. Is teaching a mitzvah? In other words, there'd be no question that if your parents told you don't take Lulav and Etrog on Sukkot, that you don't have to listen to them. If your parents told you you can't eat Matzah, Leil Haseti, you don't have to listen to them. But is Teaching a mitzvah for a lady, I can understand the man, perhaps for us it's a mitzvah, perhaps we don't have to listen to our parents. But why, right, what about this levy? And uh, he starts analyzing a woman. Is she allowed to leave the house? Kol kvodah bat melech penima. And here you see the mentality. Let's go to Lakewood. Lakewood Yeshiva. At least in my time. Today already it's... Lakewood is... Don't know how to describe it, but it's a city where thousands learn Torah. No, go to Lakewood, yeshiva, people learning. Who supports them? Do you get money from the kolel? Can you live on that? Women work. In Lakewood, I'm told, there are wives who are medical doctors, wives who are professors, wives who are successful in many different endeavors. And what are you going to say? How does a woman leave the house? 
a woman can't go to teach, a woman can't go to business, kvodat bat hamelech, to remain in the home, the famous pasuk. All right, this comes up in halacha many times. But where do you draw the line? This troublesome. I need not tell you, uh, we just discussed it, the Israeli army. More and more women want to go into the army. More and more women want to be frontline soldiers. Where do we draw the line? What's the role of a woman? Lakewood, Chesidus, women, Kvotat Bat HaMelech Penima, Eshet Chayim Miyimtzach, look at the description of her. Not only runs the house, runs the business. Because of her, the husband can sit in the gate and, and discuss Torah will be Malamet Tzchut, that he's not discussing politics, discussing Torah with the other men. But you see, there's a clear share of mentality. For me, for you, for people in YU, for people in Lakewood, for people in Mechazarah, for people in Panovich, women, you take Rabbi Chaim Kinevsky, he was married to Rabbi Yoshev's daughter, am I right or wrong, Batsheva? She was an Ishiyut, a public personality, par excellence. Before the Chiba movement became formalized, she was involved in speaking, reaching out, talking. Anyone who wanted to see her, man, woman, from, not from, she received everyone. So, right away, there's a clash here in your lifestyle. And I would like to know, are all his daughters, daughters-in-law, they don't leave the house, they don't go out, they don't have a profession, don't have their husbands, they don't teach? I doubt it. But this is his mentality. But waving that question aside, because he understands in the modern world, women do go out and women do engage in business. Uh, I think in Lakewood, there's uh, someone sent me a clipping that a supermarket has now begun certain days or certain hours men only can shop and certain hours women only can shop. So it's like the old type of conservative temple where there was a big battle whether to have men and women sit together and some people still shouted and yelled, we want separate seating. So you wind up with men on one side, women in the middle, and on the other side, men and women mix. Take your nickel, pay your nickel, take your choice. And this would be the supermarket. You can go at the hours when it's men only. You can go at the hours it's women only. Or go at the hours it's open to men and women. And I can tell you in Mayor Sharim, there was a big bakery. It, it shut down the uh, Brooklyn Bakery. Remember that? Very successful. And in that bakery, there was a sign... On this side, Famena, on this side, Fafroyan, women. And I couldn't get over it. A man is serving the women and a woman is serving the men. <laughs> and, I, and I also noticed, I told you this years ago, that the woman, is buying, and the women wouldn't put the money in his hand. They put it in a cup and he would have to take it. 
when I bought that, they put it right in my van. They figured I shake it's an ice bath, you know, what put it. Okay, so I, that question, he doesn't want to paskin, but he raises the issue. Uh, but then the question is, is a woman teaching women, is it a mitzvah? Does she have an obligation? And here already, he quotes the Shulchan Aruch, and it's very fascinating. Um, yeah, you'll see. Hilchat Shabbat, Siman Shin Mem Gimel. And Right. Now here's an interesting story. Nathan, where did you grow up? Do you always had a neighbor from Woodmere where you were there? No, Ephraim, where did you grow up? Toronto? You, did you, ha- you didn't have a neighbor. Okay, so I grew up in the Bronx. Whoever dreamt there'll be an Arab in Manhattan, in Riverdale, I grew up in the Bronx, couldn't carry Shabbos. Many people went to shul and their little son or little daughter carried the talent. Kenny, you remember that. Okay. Is that good chinuch? I don't know. But is this, is it proper? Is it within the confines of Hilchat Shabbat? Yes. A kid is not higher than mitzvah. A katan, a katanar. You don't become higher than mitzvah until you bat mitzvah, until you bat mitzvah. I have a bat mitzvah coming up, and I might see my daughter. It's her granddaughter, my great-granddaughter, so it's fascinating, the people who served in Miluim in units for three months, four months, they're holding reunions now that they got out. My grandson's tank unit, he was in a tank for four months. He just started teaching again in Shalavim. They welcomed him with candy and cake and balloons. I'm happy to hear that. So uh, Friday they had a reunion. And it was in a park, a big park, a, a real Sharon park somewhere near Petach Tikva, in the center of the country. And, and my daughter went and uh, she saw the kinship, the friendship, the camaraderie that had developed. She said it was just beautiful to see. And then she said, Halavai, my granddaughter's bat mitzvah, the food should be as good as they had Friday at the reunion. Follow me. Wow, she's already thinking bat mitzvah this year, a few months away. I have a grandson bat mitzvah, now bat mitzvah. Wow. Then you become chayav in mitzvah. But before that, there's no chayav. You're a cotton, you're a katana, you're not responsible. But there is a din of chinuch. And Chinuch begins when a kid is old enough to understand you have to start being Machanech. 
who has that obligation? All right. The father. Do rabbis have to walk up and down the street and see kids carrying kaliyot and give them musa? Do we have to differentiate between a nine-year-old and an eight-year-old? And eight years, nine years, smart enough to understand. Halacha lemaisa, the father. A kid is eating the veil of Mithrefa. Isurim the Oraita. Beitin doesn't have to get involved. Rabbis don't have to set up patrols. Avo aviv mitzuvelig argo. Look into the Magana from Sif Katan Aleph. Aviv mitzuvel. Aval imol eno That his father is obligated, his mother is not. Halacha That's the way he sees it. Tell me, Ephraim, how do we live? We live totally differently. Chinuch, I have the greatest nachat when two-year-old great-grandchildren come to me and ask, can they play with this toy on Shabbos that has a battery in it? Is it muktzah? Get it too. Already? Avata? Mothers? I got news for you. Nowadays, chinuch is in the hands of the mothers, not in the hands of the fathers. Uh, it's a whole different world today. Who teaches elementary classes? Most of the teachers in the Chinuch Mamlachti Dati and day schools in America could also be, I don't know, here I guess in Chinuch Hatzmai you would never have women teaching men or would you on the earliest, youngest level? But women are the bulk of Chinuch today. But Halacha this is the Psak of Father is chayav, a woman is not. Well, if that's the case, what mitzvah does she have? Teaching, helping young ladies, impressing upon them Torah Tashem, learning, standards of tzniyot, marriage, all that a teacher affects a life. And I have to tell you, I've heard this time again. Actually, I have a quote. If you open up Washington, I quote one of the one of the famous writers that a teacher's influence is forever. It's finetzach, a good teacher. The influence only a man, not a woman. Even her own son eating the veil of Tzrefat, she's not obligated to do it. Now, you look into the Maganav Ram, and uh, he asked a very simple question that uh, Heleni Hamalka, there's a whole sukkah where she takes her kids to the sukkah and the young kids, and, and so, all right, he says right away, she was a tzaddikit, she was machmira alatzma, you follow? That's not... That's not me'ika hadin. Ayin sham. He chichmira al atzma. 
I'm quoting the Magana of Ram word by word. So you see here that Anisa Diorita, a father is Chayav, not a lady. And if this is the case, a tremendous proof that a woman getting involved in Chinuch, a woman teaching, a woman setting an example of Terah and Yerat Shemayim, that this is not a mitzvah, not a chiyuv. It's ene mitzvah but it's not mitzvah v'osah. Ene lecha shum chiyuv l'umodim yeladot. No. No chiyuv whatsoever. And if this is the case, then if her parents say to her, we don't want you to teach, there's no mitzvah to teaching for her, and kibar avviyem is a chiv, a mitzvah diorita. All right. And Rabbi Menashe Klein says, look, the teaching we see is not a mitzvah. But what about business? No mitzvahs involved here. But going out of the house? Maybe that's not too good to go to business. And we're going to come back to this. You're going to see all the questions he raises about the business. But leaving out the question of leaving the house, business and teaching are equal to each other. Neither one is a mitzvah. Neither one is a chiyav. Kibar aviyem is a chiyav deoraita. And then he quotes something that when it comes to teaching, so he, what, what, what's the word that we use that and he says Talmidim not Talmidat and if that's so even teaching women who says they need an education who says you have to go into the classroom and educate maybe women shouldn't go to school at all it's very this particular proof is very weak, even from his point of view, because generally speaking, when we say Talmidim, when we say plural, it means male and female. B'nai Yisrael, we don't say B'not Yisrael. B'nai Yisrael includes B'not Yisrael. You know that now with the feminist movement, through all these translations of the Torah, he, she, everything is changed to be unisex, uh, uh, I'm not happy with it, but plain, simple Hebrew, banim means women. He's medayek. Banim means men, not women. And it's no mitzvah, no chiyuv. And if that's the case, kibar wins out.
And then he goes further with this question of teaching that a woman is not involved with this at all. And here he says something fascinating. Why should there be a concept that the Baton has to set up schools, Yeshua ben Gamla, the Baton has to worry about Chinuch, because Kol Yisrael are Ravim Women are not involved in Arevot. It is only men. And I'll tell you a lot you can go into the Mitzvah Chinuch, but I'll give you the essence of this thinking. When does Arevot begin? Satosvat and Sanhedrin. Arevot begins when the Jews come into Eretz Yisrael. See, until we come into Eretz Yisrael, we still function as Yechidim. When we come into Eretz Yisrael, there's a whole process from Matan Torah to Eretz Yisrael, we become a nation, we become a peoplehood. Who has to conquer Eretz Yisrael? Men go to war, not women. So there could be that the Arevut, which stems from Eretz Yisrael and the conquest of Eretz Yisrael and our interrelationship that we feel so strongly today with Eretz Yisrael and the war and Jews and, and the hostages and all that happened on October 7th could, could very well be, you're right, that women are not involved in Arevut. If they're not involved in Arevut, then they are not involved in teaching. The whole concept of teaching is that the Jews should remain a Torah people and I'm Sugular and I'm Kodesh. Well, that's teaching. Men, not women. And if that's the case, Isha einat b'klalei revut in kain lekalel din lafushemi isura. She's not involved in this whole concept of influencing, keeping them away. And he would like the paskin. No, she cannot teach. She has to listen to her parents. Better she should stay at home, accompany her parents to work shouldn't be out in the streets and Kibar Aviyem wins out. That's what he would like to paskin. I'm going to show you in a few minutes what I would have paskin, but first let's understand Rav Menashe Klein. And then he says, however, I don't want to end off this tshuva and say to you this is halachal Maisa because I don't know all the facts. And he says, you wrote to me, you didn't explain to me the following. Number one, are the parents from? To be with them in the business? Are the parents from? Number two, what kind of place is the business? Is it a makam sanua or a makam pritzutz? Then, what does it mean that the father can force her to work for him? When you have a bogeret, is the father zeicha b'maise yodecha? 
If he's Zaycha B'masa Yodel, which it would seem he's not, then he can't force her. If he is Zaycha B'masa Yodel, then of course the father would have the upper hand. Now, he raises the question, tell me, if the parents are not from, are the children still chayav in kibber avviyem? You know how much has been written on this topic? You can machoikis achroinim, parents not from. Halacha there's no such concept as parents not from today because we're all tinokach and nishpahu. Natan was lucky, was raised in Woodmere, young Israel. In your time, was Eish Kodesh there already? You have no idea what I'm talking about. Young Israel, tremendous success story. Rabbi Heschel Billet, you have no idea what he built up there. But there were problems there. I've been there many times, and by Musaf time, it sounded like the bleachers at Yankee Stadium was there talking about. I once saw the young Israel of Woodmere, I'm not making it up, that right before Kriyat HaTorah, one of the Balabatan walks over to, I was davening with certain, I don't want to mention the names of the families, people I was very good friends with, and he comes over and he speaks about a chance to invest they're going in $10,000 a piece, this new deal, I think it was a senior citizen's home that they're going to buy. Do you want to come in with us? And the Balabas that he spoke to says to him, I'll let you know after Kriya Satera. Kenny, do you understand what the heck went on in his mind during Kriya Satera? So a Talmud of mine, Rabbi Moshe Weinberger, opened up a Shulesh Kodesh, you want to be a member? You have to sign and pledge that you will not speak during davening. And boy, did that take off. And I'm told that it rebounded that at the Young Israel today, there's a lot less talking because they know Big Brother is watching down the street. But you see, parents, we're all... Kenny's wife, Annie, grew up in Detroit. How many from Jews did she see in Detroit? And Tinak Shanishba, but it's it's much deeper than that. Even if you're living in Woodmere and living in Muncie, you're reading the newspapers, you're hearing the news, you're hearing the politicians, you're exposed to a tremendous world beyond you. And sometimes it is so attractive that you get caught up in it. But he raises the issue. If the parents are from, you have to listen. If the parents are not from, yeah, could be. You don't have to listen. I wouldn't pass him that way, but I know there are various viewpoints. Parents not from today, I need not tell you. The curative movement, the outreach, how many parents I know who were made from by their children. You follow? 
how many parents I can tell you live cases, what I've seen, what I've taught, what I've experienced. It's unbelievable, the world we live in. And it's Rabbi Kites' vote. Remember the vote I told you when you come into a house? He said, when I came to America in 1930, any house he walked into and you saw Sfarim belonged to the old Zayda. Today you come into a house, you see Sfarim, it belongs to the Einikel, to the Ur Einikel, to the grandchildren. And you have to have a little bit seichel here. Parents who are not from, I always paskin lahalacha, give up ki vidaviyem. No one's telling you lechalel Shabbat. No one's telling you to eat treif. But a mother who goes out of her way, kosher kitchen, kosher food, ki vidaviyem. And he raises the issue and says, give me the details. Only with the details can I give a more definitive psak. Now, the, the, the question of a makam sanua, now, what does that mean, makam sanua? Uh, you walk the streets of Jerusalem, the weather gets warmer, people, girls, women, walking streets, not Sanua. But Rabbi Meish already had to deal with this with the New York subway. You're in the New York subway, you can get crowded in, and uh, women are bumping into you all the time. The Chazonish had to deal with it, with the taxi cab. Remember the famous Tshuva, the Chazonish, quoted by his Talmud, Kalman Kahana, Chavek Neset, Polya Gurich Yisrael, Yeki Bemakov, Batamur at the Chazonishia. I taught his daughter in Michalach about 50 plus years ago. I still remember her very well. And uh, what do you do in a taxi? What do you do on a bus? The Bar Lichtelstein has the classic story, it's already a world gone by. But there used to be a Sheirut. I don't know if it's, I don't think it runs anymore. There used to be a Sheirut from the tip of Meisharim Geula to Bnei Brak. So Rabarin, when he came in Aliyah, the Mizrahi jumped on top of him, and once a week he would give a shear to the Mizrahi in Bnei Brak. At that time, there was still a large Mizrahi presence in Bnei Brak. And Rabarin would take that Sheirut direct to Bnei Brak from Geula. And uh, again, a woman gets into the car, Rabarin is sitting in back, the woman, and a chsidah gets up and goes around to the front, won't sit next to a woman. So the woman turns to Rabarin and says to him, I don't go to mikvah. What does he think? You follow? And, and uh, right, what do you mean, Makam Lotz? And by the way, the woman, you know, according to Sony, she should have remained sitting there, but you all know the stories of, of the seats switching the airplanes, legal uh, suits, uh, 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 suing, and, and every Israeli bus, there are now signs, you can sit wherever you want. Uh, no one can force you to the back of the bus. All right, there are buses with separate seating, women, men, men in front, women in back, women in front, men in back. You're in New York, in Muncie, New York, uh, the, the Chus buses, they're called, Hasidic buses. All right, 
I don't know what he means. A business is open to the public. You can't control who walks in. But maybe he means that the parents had a, a business that was totally not sanua. And I thought I can give you an example too. And you, you, This is funny but true. I can now reveal the secrets I kept for 44 years. So the tapes of the Rav, our biggest problem was breaking them down from reels to cassettes. So Erwin Shapiro, Sichrona Levracha, put so much money into this, and it was not tax-free money. It's not that you got a receipt. This was all, you had a, it had to be done clandestinely. No one should know the treasures that we uncovered. There are reasons why, but not for now. I wish it weren't so, but that was the reality. Even today, we can't release the treasures that will change the Torah world when they will be released in decades to come. So we had to find who hundreds, thousands of reels have to be broken down to cassettes. So Irwin comes up with an Italian firm that works for Hollywood and, and singers in Brooklyn, and they have the equipment, the machinery, from the cassette to the reel, to, from the reel to the cassette. So one time, I've done some good things in my life. One time I disappeared from Israel for two full weeks, let no one know where I was, working, living with in Irwin's home and working with him in Brooklyn. Gave me an office, big building, plumbing supply, Alroy plumbing. That was his geschäft that he inherited from his parents, family geschäft. And uh, he and his brother-in-law, and uh, I'm working away there. And then Irwin says, and I'm organizing everything. You have no idea what I did in those two weeks working around the clock. Then we have to go to where they're doing the recordings. Walk into the place. Gentlemen, I apologize. Pictures on the wall. Don't want to tell you what the pictures were. You can use your own imagination. Pritzot Sheb Pritzot. No, is that what he's... I, and I said to Erwin, just think, the tapes that we have, Kedusha Sheb Kedusha, and Pritzet Sheba Pritzet on the wall. But they did a very good job, and uh, until today we benefit from what they... Then later it was transferred from the cassettes to the computerization, and that was done by my Talmud, who Irwin would say, Aaron, your greatest find in all your decades of teaching, that Talmud. What he did unbelievable for us. Chabadnik. But a Chabadnik who loves Gedolei Yisrael. So, I don't know what he means. What kind of business do they have? And what does he mean the whole question of Britzot? Business is a business. It's open to the public. Anyone can walk in. I don't know. I know Sharad. 
I never yet saw them throw out any lady who walked in slacks and pants, sleeveless. All right, I hope someone come to Osharad. The clientele is all religious, but look, it's a democracy. I, I hope they would dress, even if not sneered, shibbit sneered, but at least sneered. I can, pants I can tolerate. Sleeveless already is more of a problem. Don't want to go further. But he raises the issue. Then he raises another issue which unfortunately is true. God have mercy, the scandals we have had in the Torah world, sex. See, it's part of the greater world, sex today. Sex was once quiet, magic. It, it was the secret of life. Eshet Nu'urim. You don't appreciate what once was. And I hope we still can have it with our people, our children. Our, I, Baruch Hashem, I was with my grandchildren. I hope with my great-grandchildren. Sex today, nothing. Eating, drinking, you'll see tomorrow, Shia. Uh, sex here, there, everywhere. So he says, what about teaching? Maybe the parents want to keep her under their eye so there should be no sexual scandals. And he mentions teaching and he mentions the parents of the children. No, there is a halacha. Are you allowed, is a, are you allowed to teach children? Parents come. Women come, men come, female teacher, men, male teacher, parents, mothers, females. No, I would dismiss the question altogether. We have to live in a normal world. Love you know it. I kept it quotes to that time and again. And one of the challenges of life is to know how to live in a world where there are men and women. Baruch Hashem. I'm not happy when we eat in separate rooms. You have to know how to interact. It's very important. I'm very thankful that I went to B'nai Akiva. You have no idea. I was a yeshiva boy and a learner and a matmid. B'nai Akiva. Normal. Life. Rabbi Lichtenstein. Aaron. Product of B'nai Akiva. Chicago. He yet talks about his madrich. In one interview I read with him, uh, uh, Schwimmer, I talked to Rabbi Schwimmer, tremendous influence on Rabbarin, it's Madrichen B'nai Akiva. My Madrichen B'nai Akiva, Meir Kahana, strong influence, no question. But God have mercy, he's worried about an environment Men, women, teaching, preach it, lack of sneer. The parents want her in the business to keep an eye on her. And this is what I told you. When BMT began in 69, and BMT influenced Mahon Gold, which 
was long before BMT, but that was to produce teachers for South America, for Europe. BMT, then gold, and gold follows BMT. And, and the gap year, as they call it today, no girls from Eidot HaMizrach, from Flatbush, Syrians. And I asked, we already had Syrians in BMT. And I asked, how come your sisters are not here? No. Don't let a lady out of the house. Don't let a young lady out of the house. Parents have to keep an idea on the girl. That's the mentality here. All right. With the Syrian flatbush community, it has changed. Over the years, they saw the boys came back from Israel inspired. Some actually went in Aliyah. The women started coming. I would say by the 1980s already, we started to get some. And by 2000, it was par for the course. But that mentality, how do you let the girl go out of the house? She's not married. And this too can be part of the reason why the Parians are so insistent and so dominant. And finally, in the last paragraph, he says what's every parent's dream. You know, she should listen to her parents, doesn't have to get involved in teaching. And then she should marry. And when she marries... And Halavai, she marries a Ben Torah. Once she marries, then she can do what her husband enables her to do. And if he's pleased with her being a teacher, so then her parents have no stay. Vadai einetzvicha lishmoalahem. Because then already she must listen to her husband. So it's a very fascinating shiva, a clash of mentality. We don't know what actually happened. We don't know whether Reb Menashe Klein got an answer to his various questions. But you can see Reb Menashe's mentality. You can see our mentality how we would deal with it. One second, let me just straighten out the papers here. Uh, we can see how we would deal with it, how we understand Mokum Tsanua, men and women, business, the question, the woman, a teacher, successful. Ephraim, how would I paskin? And here, to me, it's Zvilkri Ravbo. The answer is staring at us. I mentioned it in a different context a few weeks ago. And the answer is black and white, no ifs, ands, and buts. Very simple. Kibar is a very big mitzvah. It's one of the Ten Commandments. The Rav gave many, many drusha that Kibar represents the fact that we acknowledge we were created. They're people whose blood is in our veins. We owe them 
responsibility. Ultimately, it leads back to God. If we acknowledge our parents, then we acknowledge God, we acknowledge Mesora, we acknowledge the whole concept of creation and generations. This is the heart of being a Jew. But with all this said and done, every human being has his own dignity. Every human being is an individual. The Mishnah in Sanhedrin, once you save one individual, you've saved the whole world. And the Gemara at the end of Brachot, Patsufeim endomot, we are all individuals. And there's the cloud of Tzad Gufa. Rabbi Moshe Soloveitchik, remember, pulls the letter out of his pocket, 1930, 1930, 1930 it had to be. His son is telling him he's about to be engaged. His son, the Gong, his father is in America, the son is in Berlin. Father wants to know, how can you marry? I haven't met her, we haven't given our approval. And the son quotes the Ramah right at the end of Pilchat Kibra Vien, Yoridea Reshmem right at the end of Sif Chavchei in the Ramah, V'cheinim ha'av mocheb b'ben l'isa eise isha sheyach potsbo ha'ben ein sarach l'shmoa el aviv. And the Gon says, Tsa t'gufa. And that's the halacha I showed you right before in the Shulchan Aruch in that same siman has to do what he wants to do. He doesn't. This is basic. This is the human being. Profession. Ephraim, your parents are bending your ear. Be a medical doctor. What do we come to Canada for? What are you studying? What are you wasting your time? Natan, mother and father, both dentists. They bend your ear. No. You have to do what brings you happiness, what brings you fulfillment. And I have to tell you, this, I, I wish, I, whenever we need a psychologist, he's late. Tell, you know Yosef, you know what I'm talking about? Jacobs. Oh, there's a, the out today, they are on a trip to the south. To visit the south. Uh, to what to see or right, whatever. All right, I'm a, see that Yomos uh, That's right. He's not here, and Max Robbins is not here. Okay, 
Anyway, what I'm telling you now is life. The Rav often spoke. The Rav often spoke about this. If you look at family redeemed, you'll see this come up time and again. See, this is one of the greatest problems we have with parents and children. What are parents about? You have a child. That child is totally dependent on you. To a certain amount, you're totally dependent on the child. You blend into one. This is particularly true of the woman. With a man, the relationship begins a little later when the child can talk and speak and you educate. But a woman, Rechem, Babitni, Barachmi, when Batsheva rebukes Shlomo HaMelech, and the Rav says a mother can never forget that that son came, that child came from her womb, her body. Then the kid grows up. Two years old, that's the age of no. He learns how to say no. And a parent suffers. The kid later has to make choices. And you have to make your peace with the fact that the kid can make his own choices. The Mishnah, Yavamat, a daughter-in-law and a mother-in-law, can they testify against each other? No, not allowed. Because there's this clash. This is the boy I raised. This is the young man I put so much into. And he marries a stranger. I don't know who she is. And, and, and he listens to her. And if there's conflict between mother and wife, you have to listen to the wife. And this is so difficult. And this is the cause of a lot of psychological problems and infighting and, and, and social workers and psychologists. And I need not tell you, this comes up time and again. It is very hard. But I told you the story with Rabbaran's mother. Remember the story? That the grandchildren, Rabbaran's mother was a genius. A bloomer, genius. I knew her. And the grandchildren looked up to her. And they asked her, Safta, is there any Pasuk in the Torah which you don't understand? Little kids asking the great-grandmother, the, gr the great-grandmother, okay? And she says, yes, there's one Pasuk. The kids joke, he's a Pasuk? That a kid who you raise as such leaves his mother, father, finds a strange woman who he never knew, they marry and become one flesh. Kenny, you can't top that story. But that's a difficulty that repeats itself time and again. 
and tzad the gufo. Yes, you have to educate. Children have to make a choice. Children have their own life. You can't intervene or project yourself upon the child. Child asks, you can guide. You can be helpful. No two ways about it. But ultimately, it's that child. And Baruch Hashem, if you know my relationship with my grandchildren, I get along with all of them. Whoever they chose, they're my flesh and blood. It's my family. They came in. Make your own decisions. Don't interfere. One grandson, I gave advice, and it, he listened. It's, he was a Chovesh Kravi when he did Hester. And he won an award as the top Chovesh Kravi in the entire army. He still remember when the reward was given, the Tataluf, who was in charge of this part of the army, with a beard, a Sfadi guy with a big black kippah, he spoke, I couldn't believe it, beautiful. It's years ago. And then when he finished Hester, my grandson said to me, Sab, I don't know what to study further. I said, listen, the most important calling in life is to teach Torah. But you've got to be able to do it and do it well. He said, no, that's not for me. All right. It has to do everything, but... I said, well, look, you were Chovesh Kravi. You were in battle. You saw blood. Can you handle it? Be a medical doctor. Today, many years later, he is... PhD in molecular biology and an MD in doing his residency now. And I'm, I'm still, I, I pressed him, if I had my way, stay in research. We need to discover the cure to cancer, to cells. But now he wants to, his wife is a medical doctor. They met her in medical school. He's a medical, he's the, remember I told you that a Gerachasa got his MD in his class with him, with honor. And that Gerachasid, he's been written up now, and that Gerachasid, the dean of the medical school, said, when my grandson told me, I said, you give that dean a kissing for me. He said, we're not only proud of you that you're graduating with honor, we're proud of you that you remain the same Gerachasid that you were when you came in. See, that's what we have to say about the army, that one day the Ramatkal will be a Gerachasid. And we can say you're Ramat Kao and you remain the same Gerachasit that you came in. But my approach, I hold that the Rav would kiss my forehead for it. I gained it from Rebbe. This is basic. Tzad Gufa. And if someone asked me, uh, Rapanasha Klein, the question, I wouldn't get involved with the He of Lumad, La Maid, La Fish Isa. All that is very secondary. What's most important, she's a good teacher. And, and he says it in the tshuva that he's been told that she has influence on these girls, a teacher like that? That's what our future depends upon. Remain in the classroom 
parents are multi-millionaires, have a big business, the business will thrive with or without you. But the classroom, how many good teachers do we have? And I can say I see in memoir literature and in interviews, I've seen time and again people talk about the one teacher that influenced their lives. Yes, it's, it's not, not just Torah, it's all over. One teacher. How many teachers do you have in school? How many names do you remember? But one, two teachers remains with you. And this lady, Tzadagufa, picking a husband. How can you intervene? Okay. Sometimes it works. I know, the Hasidic world. I love that. I, I keep on quoting that documentary from 25 years ago of people apart where the Talmud, the Hasid, the son says, and he's got a ziskai to him. He said, I told my mother, pick out a nice girl for me. And then he thanks her, such a, and then he says, when I got married, I see it's not just this, more to marriage than just picking out the girl. But sometimes it works. But where the boy, the girl, brings someone home, sadhagufa, teaching, same story. Study, profession, yeshiva, rebbe. Wow. Okay. Adkan this I love it. I love it. And I think my answer is more in keeping with the world in which I grew up. I think Rabbi Aaron Cutler would totally agree as well. All right. Where do we go from here? Uh, let me introduce the next question. The next question is one that in modern times comes down to us a thousand times over. And this question already, he is not ashamed of telling who's asking it and where it's coming from. We get many more details. It's also Chelek Yud from the Mishnah Halachat. It's Siman Shin Chet. Let me just check that I'm not misreading. Yeah, the next chub is Siman Shin Tet. So this is Siman Shin Chet. The chub is from 1985, and it's Malat Kvod Yedidi Harav Habibi, my good friend, Cleveland. Ohio. And uh, this is classic. Your diabetes. Your mother has diabetes and Isha has me machlat sugar diabetes balaz and she's pregnant. And this lady is required at that time, I don't know what, how it works today with this illness and pregnancy, 
she's required la sok bedikatam bocholyom in order to know the amount of insulin in her body. And if she wouldn't be pregnant, they can do the test from urine. But a woman who is pregnant, the only way they can do the test is from her blood. And here the question comes up, how can you do the test on Shabbat? Is there a solution Shabbat, or is this Sakana and do whatever you can on Shabbat? And the person asking the question came up with a solution. Let the test be done by his daughter who's not yet bat mitzvah. So a smart girl, nine or ten years old, eleven years old, the girl will know already how to get the blood, how to do the blood. You'll teach her how to do the, what would be the word for a test like this, where the needle of blood, they pull out a drop of blood. Uh, is there a special word for withdrawing that blood? No, no one. Uh, medical word, all right. We'll leave it. Yoma, what do you say? To draw the blood. Am I th- using that word or do we have a better medical word? Draw the blood on Shabbat? What, what? Yeah, no, all right. Bidikatam, but I'm a, a blood test, all right, a blood test. Extract the blood, what would be the word you use? Okay. Okay. And 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 the girl is not bat mitzvah, but wait a minute, are you allowed to do Hezek damage to your mother? Isha the Oraita of the highest order. My dear students, translate this question a hundred different ways. No, Natan's brother is a dentist like his parents wanted. Do you have a brother a dentist or am I just clothing you with... He what? He wants to be his younger. Oh, he's younger. All right, here, perfect. Your brother's a dentist. Your mother needs dental work. Can she go to your brother? It's exactly the same Shiloh. Isa the Oraita Chabalah. Let a different dentist do it. Medical doctor. Nurse. Psychiatrist. Psychologist. Your father has a problem. Wants to speak with a psychiatrist. Sent his son through medical school. Spent the fortune to raise him. Prominent psychiatrist. Can he lay down on his couch? You get involved with a psychiatrist, psychologist. You tell stories, secrets, reveal who knows what. 
than any business of your son. Father wants him. Can he do it? Keep it off the aim. I feel comfortable with you. A nurse, take blood. Blood test. Diabetes, whatever. I raised a nurse, Baruch Hashem, she went to Machon Tal. She's a top quality nurse. I'm so proud of her. Why do I have to go to strangers? Can she that be this Shaila repeats itself? A surgeon. Just think for a minute. Father says, I want my son to operate. By the way, medically, they're not happy. A surgeon don't want you to touch your parents, your your closest relatives. There's a certain ethical medical guideline here. But the Shaila comes up over and over again in many different variations. And if I can end off with a, a bit of a joke, now you can understand if you encourage your son to study Torah, no greater nachat in the world that he teaches his father and shows him his kiddushim and what he's accomplished. And here, there's no conflict. I raised a son, I supported a son. Baruch Hashem, he became an Avon Gadol, much greater than his father in learning. Let me have nachat from him. It's like Reb Meisha talking about the Rav. My zunda going. I mean, you don't realize what I'm telling you. I heard this from students of Reb Meisha, and they told me they were all laughing. They walk out of class. Ah, nacham. Again, they spoke Yiddish. It was their native language for parents. So even out of class, they would speak Yiddish to each other. And they walk out of class, knew that the Rebbe Nachamo, Nachamo, again and again, he's boasting about his son. And they said, how big a lamb can he be? Reb Chaim Brisker, Reb Moshe, so the son is bigger? How can it be? Then I can tell you, when the Rav came to America in 1932, and he's going to give a guest lecture in the yeshiva in Washington Heights, and all the Rabbanim come out and Talmudim, and in the Rav comes in, clean-shaven, uh, tall, good-looking, and he starts the shear. They were blown away. After the shear, everyone, they saw Rav Meisha is right. Okay, so what did we do today? We finished out, uh, we reviewed again what we dealt with, the marriage question, and uh, but the heart of the shear, imagine a lady, a girl, successful in teaching, and they want her in business. And we spent a good deal of time the whole question of and it's the father, not the mother. Nowadays I would say, it's the mother, not the father. But uh, that was the life then, and that was the understanding. And that Shaila, with all that 
Menashe Klein leaves questions, more information, but how I would paskin it, halacha and the implications of tzadagufa. And then we introduce the next question we're going to be dealing with, the diabetic pregnant woman and the Chilul Shabbat, or Israel Shabbat, but trying to avoid the Lema'et Chilul Shabbat. Again, if it's a question of Pikuach Nefesh, there's no Chilul Shabbat, there's no question. But if we're involved in the gray area, then the question is Eich Lema'et. And the question of the daughter, who's not yet 12, during, during the Bidika. All right, we'll see all the sources next week, but I showed you how this question has implications on so many different aspects of life, doctors, dentists, uh, psychologists, uh, you can go right down the line where the son, I raised him, I want him, can he, the blood, etc. All right, are there any questions? I want to thank everyone for coming and honoring me in their presence. And I have to say that Machon Lev is very smart. They, you and Rabbi Rajna, you're going to be a big magnet for uh, these young people who want to stay the year. But Kinat Sof and Tabachachma, I think there are enough students to go around for YU as well. Uh, I also want to mention <coughs> tomorrow's shear is very, very important uh, because I'm taking you eyewitnesses what happened in 1853 in Volusion. Why is it so important? Not for a happy reason. We're not going to be pleased with, oh, we're going to see Volusion tomorrow. But that starts a tradition that reverberates throughout the yeshiva world until certainly after World War I. And it could even be an undercurrent today. And you'll understand why uh, Reb Nesson Kamenetsky, art scroll thinking, they don't want to repeat what happened in Volusion, what happens later in Tells, what happens in Slabotka. Is it good, is it bad? It's a challenge to Machanchem. But it all begins in Volusion. And you'll see tomorrow there's Ratashem. Okay, uh, until we meet again in health and happiness, Tasvetanya. Recording uh, stopped. Okay, are, are there any questions from around the world? Mark, uh, in, in Chicago, thank you for your email. Glad to hear. Let's see further. There's Ratashem. Where did uh, uh, Nachum Lam go? Where did who go? Nachum Lam. Nachum Lam is right oh. here. Uh, he, just, he gave this to me to pass to Rebbe, uh, the present. Um, Gemara Cup. Oh, that's what he showed me. Yes. Talmud Bafli. So it, it, it has to replace now uh, the mirror which broke anyway, so we'll keep it as a souvenir. Does, does everyone show it uh, close, to, close up to the camera? Yeah. Gemara Cup. Okay. We're trying to clear out, Rebbe. We have add a few extras. Okay, Kala <laughs> Kavon. Kala Kavon. Talmud Bavli. Okay. It says IBC on it, because that, that was...
And right there, I see that. Ah, uh, because they claim that uh, IBC wasn't as Gemara oriented as the yeshiva proper, and everyone is talking about a Gemara cup, and they say, here we are, Gemara cup, C-U-P. Rabbi Lem, Rabbi Lem said, now I'm going to have to drink my words. Rabbi Lem said that that uh, if you don't have a Gemara cup, you wind up in the uh, uh, T.I. Uh, for men, the uh, Isaac Royer College, right? Do I have it right? The Yitzchak Royer College, IBC, and uh, and then they he, so he he put them down that if you have a Gemara cup, you go to Yeshiva proper. Uh, MIP. Uh, you all these different morning programs that didn't exist in my time. So they, and and and, and Rebbe, Rebbe, now now we're Davin and Isaac Royer school. And then Choret, that was his, uh, he was the rub there. Ah, he was the rub in Choret. Yeah, Choret began as the real Yeki Shul. And you're living right there, Al-Kharisi. It came back to me, begins in back of the Jewish agency. And it goes down to Ramban. And it's a wonderful street to live on. Al-Kharisi is a good name. And there must be a lot of fine people living there. And you have a shoe right under your nose. Uh, my, and my, my father was a Hebrew major in college. So when, as soon as he heard it, he still has his books. You know, uh, you may have a nayim. Mm-hmm. So he immediately ran. He got it down. Who was he? What did he write? What right, did right, he write? right, right, right. <laughs> and Baruch Hashem. Yeah, well, those, that area is Ibn Ezra, Ramban, uh, Radak, right? It's all the Rishonim. <laughs> And many of them, the great uh, Hebraists. Uh, wow, wow. I, I, I always find it funny that Ravad cuts, there's a little uh, alley called Ravad that cuts into Ben Maimon. It's uh-huh. like you have a Ravad on a Rambam, so you have a little Ravad. Uh, the Ravaz, yeah, it's yeah. a little alley down, down. Yeah. I, I, I think I've been on it more than once. <laughs> Yomo, yes. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the colorful uh, t- um, equivalent of the word uh, Balagan is Bedlam. Bedlam. And what does that come from? From Balagan? Or from from Bethlehem Hospital in, in London, which became a mental institution. And ah. uh, it was a, it, it's a... Bedlam. It, it, it's, a, it's a similar connotation. Uh, uh, big uh, uh, big uh, mess or madness. Good, good, good. Okay, let me... Uh, uh, I'll give you a lift. Oh, no, you don't need a lift today? No. Okay, but whenever you need a lift, just tell me. It's not a problem. Okay, in two, uh, l- let me thank everyone for honoring me with their presence on the screen. And until we meet again in health and happiness, Tasvidaniyah.